Hi, I'm Ted Wolf, presented by Guidewise. Welcome to the Implementers Podcast, where we connect you to the stories and insights of people who have mastered implementation. Why? Because ideas are easy, but implementation is hard. Join us as we uncover the secrets of successful implementation so you can conquer your implementation struggles. I'd like to welcome everyone to episode number two of the Implementers Roundtable. Today, the panel consists of Jeff Marco, who is the CMO of Bombora, Bill Brazel, partner at WIT, WIT Strategy, and myself, Ted Wolf, co-founder and president of Guidewise. Welcome. Today, we're going to talk about intent data beyond sales. So, Jeff, I'm going to start with you. What exactly is intent data? Why is it important? And what's the typical use? Yeah, (laughs) having been a multiple-time customer and implementer of many of the different kinds of intent data, um, it's definitely a buzzword uh, and one that we are hearing a lot right now in, in the market. At its core probably the easiest and simplest way to think about intent data is it identifies when people from a company are researching something uh, at the end of the day. So it's kind of an indicator of, of research. Now, there's a lot of different types of intent data, though, as you start to get into that, which is where a lot of the nuance, everything from data quality, where it fits into the sales cycle, how you can think about utilizing it. Um, that's where kind of the nuance comes in that a lot of people don't necessarily fully understand. But if we really distill it down, it's, hey, somebody from this company is doing research about this thing or they're reading content about this thing. And we thought you should know. Uh, so that's kind of the easiest way to think about it. Okay. Okay. And typical sales use, how do they use this intent in a sales environment? Yeah, yeah. So what's what's really interesting, so if I break into those categories I was kind of talking about um, a, a little bit, so there's what's kind of it comes from, from a co-op uh, type thing where you've got relationships with publishers and you're able to understand, hey, every day, single day, a business, you know, let's call Acme, is researching uh, this particular topic. So uh, let's use AI right now, right? The, the researching AI a certain amount every single day. And that's that's a good baseline because now if I sell AI tools, if I'm a seller, um, I want to know when that baseline changes, right? Like when is there a significant change that probably indicates that they're very likely might be in a buying cycle? And AI is a really big category, right? How do I know that they're actually interested in my AI tools, as I go through that. And so being able to understand kind of a category at a whole in a business's everyday research baseline is, is definitely interesting as you go through that. But then specifically, when does significant research behavior change? Um, and hey, what is it about specifically that I can follow up with? So from a sales perspective, more often than not, they love to lean in and say, hey, which company should I focus on right now versus kind of randomly picking in the dark of I have a named account list. I have this list of accounts, which ones are doing the most research on what I have to sell. Uh, Another broad application of it with sales is also looking at things like what content is this, you know, maybe I sell multiple AI tools, you know, which one should I sell? What content is this account most likely to want to consume? And so I can either, you know, through social selling, post some articles about that, or, hey, I know between these three products I could sell, they're most interested in this one. 
So it really it brings a next level of intelligence to help them um, focus their effort, right? Get a better return on effort as they go through through that motion there. Happy to go into some of the other kind of applications of, of it with sales or kind of the nuance of those other uh, intent providers. But that's kind of the, the fundamental one that we see most sale, sellers use. Okay. I know uh, I have a client. One way they use it is customer satisfaction. Yeah. They sell widgets. And they see that their client all of a sudden is consuming an awful lot of data and or information about their widgets or that they know they got a problem. They better stay close with them. So it can be used in a lot of different ways. And what what's your experience tell you from the market? What are some other areas and how of the ABC or Acme Corporation, how would they <laughs> use that? Yeah, it's what's really interesting is it, it can fit the full spectrum if you take a step back and you think about what the data is telling you, right? A business is researching this thing. Um, and especially if you're able to see full life cycle, not just like, hey, are they looking at review sites and things like that? Um, there's a lot that you can really start to do with it. So sales, very common use case. You can use it, right? Cross sell, upsell. An existing account of mine is researching another thing I sell. That's pretty easy. An existing account of mine, to your point, right, on, on churn risk is researching a competitor. That's pretty good to know, right? Um, but you can use it in pipeline forecasting. Hey, we're talking, right? I've got an opportunity. You know, who are the competitors in that deal? It can help you identify that. It can help you understand where are you in the rankings on those conversations from a research perspective. Like, are we trending up? Are we trending down? Are they ghosting us because they're no longer interested in that? That's just a few of the sales components. Um, then you've got marketing. And marketing's probably, you know, sales, kind of that, that account prioritization, where do I focus my time? It's probably the number one use case or application of, of the data in, in sales. In marketing, most of the time, what I've seen, probably 90 plus percent of accounts are really just looking at it saying, how do I advertise smarter? Right. Who are the accounts I should focus on that are doing more research on what I have so that I can better target my ads? Uh, that's great. But again, that's what the vast majority of people are doing, but that's not unlocking the full power. What you're able to start to do even just inside of that is, is kind of use it to drive your content strategy in my key accounts. What, you know, what content should I be bringing up or, um, yeah, events? There's a whole area we could dive into around that where most companies are not, right? We spend a lot of money on events, but, um, are we really getting the most out of them? And then there's my favorite world, which I've done several times now, which is the go to market strategy side of this. And that's everything from M&A to where should we expand? Uh, be fun to talk through some of those, uh, as well. But you know, Bill, I'd love to hear from you, like on the brand side, right? Like how, how are you, how have you seen intent data being used just even on, on that brand side of, of the house or especially given your, your PR background? Yeah, I, I think it's actually, well, one of the, one of the interesting things that uh, we've been able to do PR wise with Bombora's intent data is to make comparisons between what are the major ad agency holding companies interested in right now versus what are the major brands, the top 500 brands in the US, what are they really interested in? Um, and we've had a number of people kind of looking at that data because th that's really interesting. Sometimes the ad agencies are not interested in the same things that the brands really want them to be interested in. Um, sometimes you can see even at individual secretive companies, uh, Apple, Amazon, others, you can see which topics are suddenly surging there 
Um, and that's fascinating. You know, and a, a lot of editors have been interested in columns looking at what is the intent there? What what is suddenly spiking? Um I know that one 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 aspect, one data that uh, one bit of data that Bombora is able to track is sort of indicators of possible upcoming layoffs. Um, that's really interesting to see. It, it's something obviously it would be secretive from the people at the company, but you if you if you were working at that company, you could see that maybe the executives are thinking that they need to downsize. Um, that's an interesting use. Um, we had one reporter was very interested in a story about. Uh, a city, the city of Reno, Nevada, that used Bombora's data to l learn which companies in California were thinking of relocating. Uh, they were thinking about they wanted to reduce costs and, you know, where might they do that? And the city of Reno said, let's put our marketing dollars toward those companies. Let's let's reach out to them and tell them how great it is in Reno and how much money they could save by coming here and what a great quality of life they'd have. And it was a big success for them. So I think it, it's fascinating. As Jeff said, there are just so many uses for intent data that really have yet to be explored. One use that comes to mind for myself is recruiters or headhunters. Mm -hmm. They're going to find out if ABC company, Acme company is generating an interest in a certain topic? Do I have people that I can help find or help them find in talent acquisition, bring them in through their HR? Or on the other side, if there is some problems there, do I recruit from them and place them into other companies? So I could see where a recruiter along with LinkedIn would find intent data very valuable. And it all comes back to strategy. It seems, it seems to keep coming back to strategy. So how else would a company use this for strategy, Jeff? I, I'll give you some some ones I've actually done. These aren't theoretical uh, at all. So um, M and A was one that I talked about, right? Mergers and acquisitions. Mm -hmm. um, when you're buying a company, right? You're very interested in a lot of different things about it, and there's a lot of trust that kind of goes into that, right? That they give you their models, their two year forecasts, all those kinds of things. Um, and so one of the ways I've done it going through it, number one, I'll actually look at their brand health, which is also a marketing use case of just kind of, hey, how is this company stack up against their competitors, right? I can actually see the amount of research in the market holistically, or I can look by, right, uh, by industry or size of account or by revenue, right? Maybe there's a particular segment I care about more. Uh, geographically, right? If that's the thing that I'm interested in, which we can we can circle back on that uh, on, the, on the product and, and business strategy side. But um, you know, what's the health? Like, does the market actually know who they are? Right? The value of their brand, I can I can measure that. Right? What's the amount of research being done about them, about their product, about whatever they have? Secondarily, they always give you a two year, right, or three year kind of. Hey, here's here's how much money we're going to make if we execute against this plan, etc. That's great, but very often you want to dig in. You want to look under the hood. You, you build what I call a reverse funnel saying like, okay, great. You know, what are your conversion rates to hit these numbers? What's your average sales price? What does this really look like? Then I can actually then utilize intent data to say, does the market look like it's going to bear these kinds of sales numbers? Is there actually enough there that this could become a reality? And so you can actually use it to de-risk your M&A cycles as you're going through that, because I can start to do several points of validation. 
um, around that. I can see kind of who are the key people. I can look at their existing customer, right? If I'm allowed to have that list, look at their potential churn risk, right? Associated with that, it's kind of what we were saying along those lines. So you can apply a lot of these different elements to it of kind of validating, are they actually, do we believe they can actually hit these sales numbers? Do we believe that their brand is, is the value that they're saying it is? Uh, you know, what's the risk of churn within their current customer base based off of what's going on? So even just those data points just make you that much smarter in context of, of M and a, um, so that's, that's one big area for strategy. I've used it. Okay. Actually, can I riff off that a little bit? Because one of the things that, uh, saw a couple of years ago, um, it was never covered in the press, but it was fascinating. Bombora was able to see that a, a major grocer, um, that all of us would know the name of, if I told you, um, was, was surging on chapter seven bankruptcy, chapter 11 bankruptcy and M&A. Those topics had been surging for a couple of months just before they were acquired. And the week after they were acquired, no one at that company was looking into chapter seven or chapter 11 anymore. So if you were the acquirer, that would be really interesting information to know. You could, you, you know, that might affect the price you offer if you know this company is worried and maybe they would accept a lower price for this acquisition because they're afraid. Um, that would, there, so there's, it, it's fascinating what Bombora is able to see. Sorry. Yeah. So in line with that, if I'm working in the purchasing department or the finance department, or if I'm even a bank, I want to collect information to know who is looking at chapter chapter seven, chap, you know, for foreclosures and things like that. I'd want to know who might be on the ropes that I have loans out to, or I've got an extended credit line with them that I shouldn't have. So that finance area, purchasing departments, they can use that intent data to help sharpen up their decision making. Let's, let's talk even some of company expansion, right? On the, on the flip side of that, of just, hey, we think we want to expand into this country, right? Either through acquisition or organic growth, whatever we want to do. Well, we can build the business case. We know how much we need to grow, et cetera. Or, hey, we've got three countries we're going to pick between. Um, how do we pick, right? I can go yeah. talk to analysts. I can go try to get, you know, keggers and growth rates for our market within that. But that's all good, but it's not necessarily real-time data. And so that's another one where we're looking to expand. We're kind of picking what was our next country in Europe we were going to focus on. And so we were able to dig in, look at it and say, okay, here's been the historical trend over the last you know, year. We can go back as far as 18, to, uh, 18 months to, to 24 months. Just kind of say, what's been the overall trend? What are the competitors in that market? And what do they look like in terms of their market share versus research with the accounts that we think we would be going right, breaking into? And then you can use that to inform just simply where do you expand? Right. What do you look at as you go through that? Um, another one that I love to do with it, it's a product marketer's dream, is competitive intelligence. Mm -hmm. I can see what my competitor is actively researching right now. And then if I overlay that, I'll go to their jobs board, see what they're mm -hmm. hiring for. Between those two things, what are they actively researching and the trends around that? And what are they hiring for? I can have a really, really good insight as to what are they probably thinking about? Where might they be going next? And that's a, that's again, an edge case of just the data. If you just step back, you're like, what, what does it tell me at its fundamental core? It tells me what a business is researching. 
Mm-hmm. And when you think about what you're able to do with that, how that can apply to so many different things, uh, you know, marketers can very often have kind of just this tunnel vision of like smarter advertising and helping my sales team figure out who who to call. Uh, but that I, I love kind of opening that up and thinking about if I take that, where is that valuable? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say even a lawyer would find this useful. <laughs> Let me find out who is doing research on what types of law in what area. And I would probably know how to sell myself to them. But if I also want to develop a strategy, I know their weak points. So I know how to get into that market in a better way. That's absolutely right. So yeah, to me, it seems like a lot of what the intent data and Bambora uh, usage would be in strategy. How do I strategize to take advantage of current circumstances in the market, but not just sales and marketing at all? So do you see more of a surge in that area, Jeff? Other not, areas than on, sales? Honestly, not not right now. Not yet, because it's been a marketing buzzword. It's been tied to this account-based marketing trend, which is great. right? We all want to spend our dollars, our return on investment, and our time smarter and better. But it's really been isolated that the other part, too, is just the confusion around those different types of intent data. Right. There's another one that comes off of there's there's an article just this week on um, on on how people are kind of unethically utilizing um, what's called the bitstream data, uh, Mm -hmm. which is where a lot of this other um, this other intent data comes from, where, hey, people from this company read a piece of content with this keyword in it. That's great, except for the fact that you're missing a few things like. Apple. Are we talking about the fruit? Or are we talking about the company? Right. You're right. missing context. You're missing. Did they actually take the time to read this article? Right. Like, did they? Can you actually see? Did they scroll? Did they spend time on it, or did they just click off of it? Right. Yeah. So, uh, so in that vein, you can't. You don't have a baseline. You don't have all of these other components that we've been that are necessary to really dive into that. And then the other type of intent that's out there is kind of this um, this per- first party review site, which is super valuable. Right. Hey, somebody's looking at my company versus some others, right? Uh, that that are out there. Um, but that's usually pretty far bottom of funnel. I mean, even think about your consumer experience. I'm picking where I'm going to go for dinner tonight. I probably have three or four things in mind, and I want to look at the. You know, I want Thai food. I'm going to see which Thai food has the best reviews, right? But I've already decided I want Thai food. I'm going to eat tonight, etc. Um, so, it's like, it, you know, it's it's great, and that's really valuable data. But it's more down funnel. And so, as you think about even those, uh, that's a large part as to why. I don't think we're seeing this being more broadly used for strategy is those other two are really hard to use for the strategies we just talked about because you have to have a consistent flow of data. You have to understand what the baselines are and when that research behavior changes. Um, And you have to be able to kind of monitor and look at that globally. But doesn't isn't that what Bombora does for you? It kind of aggregates all that information so you can go in on all these different topical areas and really get some really good intelligence. 100%. Hundred percent. That's kind of where, where the again, kind of that that misunderstanding in the market or just confusion about intent data as a buzzword is a lot of people don't understand the nuance between the different ones. So, what's unique to to Bombora is our co op. All we we call it the the business internet, right? Uh, yeah, the rest of it's filled with cat videos and and a lot of garbage that you don't really care about. But we have the business internet that we're looking at every single day. We have direct relationships with these publishers where they actually get a lot of value back, similar to strategy, where they're able to say, hey, who's coming to my website? What's the value of these visitors to my website um, to a brand? So then I can go sell them and say, hey, you want to reach, you know, 
tech decision makers in the manufacturing industry, we have a good number of those. And here's what they're most interested in right now. You should buy a piece of syndicated content, post it here with us. You'll get a lot of value. So they actually get a ton of, we have a great value exchange with them as a part of that, but that gives us an exclusive right to over 80% of, of that business internet. I mean, there's, there's 50,000, uh, sorry, about 5,000 sites that make up the vast majority of, of that world. Mm-hmm. And Jeff, one other one other interesting use of intent data that the publishers use. Uh, can you talk about some publishers are using your data to understand what else their readers are interested in and decide editorially what direction to move in? Do you do you want to chat about that a little? <laughs> yeah, and similarly for brands, right? Every brand is a publisher nowadays too, right? Mm-hmm. We are all writing content at the end of the day. And I'd rather write content that my audience is going to be interested in. I might have a little bit of an opinion on the brand side, but as a publisher, my goal is to capture as many eyeballs as I can, right? Repeat visitors, et cetera. So dialing in and understanding what my audience is most interested in is really important, right? Not only can I advise brands on that, but for our our own editorial staff. So we're able to dig into that and see not only here are the companies that are coming to your site, but here are the people um, right. It, it's, it's anonymized and, on, and compliant along those lines, but we can say, hey, they're this kind of role, they're this kind of seniority. But then what is that specific interest of that person? Right. And then you aggregate that up of, hey, they're most interested in these topics uh, as you go through that. And if you can combine that with your other website data, you can even figure out which users are most valuable to you. What are they most interested in? And so you can very quickly build an editorial calendar around it. Some of the smartest brands that I know look every single week. At where across what they have to sell, et cetera, what is the most interesting thing to their target market? And they'll crank out a blog or two every single week about what is just highest, you know, the highest interest that, that their target market's looking at. So that editorial component is, is absolutely a massive application of it. Mm-hmm. And I would think an influencer market, influencers would be looking at intent data for the same thing you just mentioned, Jeff. Um, I'm going to ask a question, Bill, of you and Jeff both. Do you think intent data will replace focus groups? It's a good question. Why don't I start, Jeff, and you can formulate a, a better answer. Yeah. Um, uh, I will say uh, no for a couple of reasons. I mean, in, in some ways, yes. So, so Bombora's data is really B2B. So in the B2B field, it is showing you something that is much faster than a focus group could, uh, much more broad-based. It's showing you across the world, there are 2 million companies. These are the topics that are most interesting to them. So I think in the B2B world, it makes perfect sense to me that this is better than a focus group. Uh, Much more effective, much less expensive. Uh, You don't have to put any group together. You don't need a moderator. You don't need a report. Um, And by the time you get that report, intent may have shifted. Uh, Whereas in this case, you're seeing it that week. Um, in the B2C world, uh, it seems to me a focus group would still be necessary. Um, you still, I, I haven't seen, and Jeff, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, but is there intent data in the B2C world that is, is effective? Yeah, I think, <laughs> give you the consulting answer of it depends, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> what's interesting and unique about intent data is, to, to Bill's point, it is, Right, it, it gets refreshed on a regular basis. In fact, we calculate it daily, but we tend to feed it out to our customers on a weekly basis. They just can't act on it fast enough. Mm-hmm. Um, 
if you're doing website stuff, sure, we can handle that in, in real time. But that's that's unique. That's special. That tells me what this group is interested in. What it doesn't do is there. It depends what you're kind of looking for, right? As as you go through it, it doesn't give you observation. It doesn't give you uh, the conversation per se. It tells me just yeah, what are they reading articles about? What are they researching? So if I'm working on a product thing, very often you'll still want those types of focus groups. But we, but we also know what people say is very different than what they do. Um, if you've ever talked to a UI UX designer, right? So there's they'll, want, they'll say they're talking to you about this, but they're actually analyzing this other thing over here because they want to watch your behavior uh, and how you're doing that. Intent data gives you some insight into that. Like you might say that this is a thing, but you're actually researching these six other topics. What's also a really interesting application of the data kind of to that, to that end is, if you're a CEO um, and, and you want to look at and say, is, is my team kind of following my strategy, right? Following our strategy. I could even look at my kind of a mini focus group thing, right? To your HR question earlier there. Uh, I can look at my company and see what my employees are actively researching. Are they actively researching things that are aligned to our strategy, what we're trying to do, where we're trying to go, or are they off in left field? Um, kind of spending their time to some extent on something else. Uh, we've got some really big consulting companies that use it just for that of kind of like you set out the strategy. Uh, is my team actually seeming to follow it there? So similar to focus group, right? There you've got your internal one. Are they following what we're putting forward? And secondarily, uh, it gives you a, a unique insight, but I wouldn't say that it fully replaces focus groups. Okay. Now, I got a question. I'm sure there's going to be a pregnant pause between all of us after I ask this question because I'm going to catch everyone by surprise. But follow my logic. There's a news reporter and he wants to know what kind of news to watch. So he's got his intent data and he's getting the topics that are coming through. He gets a focus group where it leads to as a politician in the political environment, the discourse of what's being discussed, how it's being discussed out there. So my question is this. Do you think Donald Trump is using intent data. So this goes to Bill's comment on consumer intent data. There's a lot of consumer intent data that's out there and every single political campaign uses it hands down. Mm -hmm. What are these people interested in? What do they care about? Um, right. What are, what is their motivation? So consumer intent uses a lot of that, that bid stream world of people are reading these keywords, et cetera. Um, because especially in a political cycle, they change really fast. Both sides, every single side uses uses intent data um, as they go through that. It's then just the applications there within of, of, of hey, I want to get a group of people who care about this, you know, this particular topic or that particular topic to inform what we're going to say about it. Um, similarly, you you can in in, in the polit in the political world, they have truth sets. They'll have a database of, of the DNC or the RNC that's at least a starting truth set uh, of data that then they're trying to look within their parties to see what are they showing intent around. So that's really leaning more into the consumer side, not as much kind of like bombards that B2B internet side of the house there. But yeah, 100% uh, every single day we are uh, in our consumer world, we are targeted leveraging intent data. Okay. Okay. Bill, from a PR standpoint, where do you see intent data going and taking that market? How do you, how would you use this with, for instance, an AI program or something like that to get your message out there and influence and advance the awareness of your particular clients or brands? 
You know, I I was actually actually can I can I answer the Trump question first? Go ahead. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I I just very briefly, my own uneducated opinion of, of this is I I I feel like one of the things that made Trump so effective when he first started was that it looked like he wasn't taking any data from anywhere, but he was just seeing the world in a certain way and expressing it. And his voters thought, wow, he doesn't look like this wasn't vetted. He's not being careful. He's just telling us stuff. And one one interesting example of that, I think, where he actually moved the party in an interesting way was that before he was running, if you asked most Republican voters, is Russia an important enemy of the U.S.? Is Russia an adversary? Most of them would have said, yes, of course. I mean, that's for decades. That was the conventional wisdom and particularly among Republicans. Um, and they would go after any Democrat who looked like they wanted to talk to a Russian for any reason. I remember when Bill Clinton was running for president, George H.W. Bush said, Bill Clinton visited Russia as a student. And so this makes him totally suspect. And all of a sudden, Trump said, no, Russia's not really a problem at all. China's the problem. And the whole movement in the Republican Party was like, yeah, I guess that's true. And that was fascinating to me and not intent data wouldn't have told him to do that. That was <laughs> whatever reason told him to do that was Donald Trump's own. And we may never know. But um, that was a fascinating example of one of the very few people who could say things that would move people without any data whatsoever. And um, with regard to PR, I actually think it's sort of an untapped area, Ted. And in fact, when when Jeff was talking about looking, you know, the smart companies looking at what their competitors are researching and coming up with blog posts that are relevant right away, I thought, gosh, we ought to be doing more of that. Um, that's something uh, I, I actually I want to talk to Jeff about that after this, because I thought, gosh, that's a really good idea. Um, to me, one of the interesting things about intent data is, as Jeff was saying earlier, you asked him, are people surging on this? There are so many uses that people haven't thought of yet. In some ways, you could make an analogy to AI. AI right now, people are saying, oh, gosh, it could write a college essay and it could write a poem and all this. Well, there's going to be a lot more uses than that. But we're just starting to think about what those are. And I think it's similar with intent data. The potential here is amazing. Yeah, I agree. I think the I think from my experience working with clients, helping them scale their businesses, there is so much that a an organization can do with intent data. They can actually bring the operations of their environment or their company together because it's syncing everything together. I find out we have a client who's doing intent data. I want to find out. I go to sales and marketing about what is the customer experience? What are we lacking? I can look at competitive data to say, why are they looking at these other companies? I can take that down to the product development level within the business. Are we developing the right products or not? Because somebody else is surging one of our competitors. So we got to look at our um, competitive analysis and product development of where we're going there. There's so many areas, purchasing, finance, I can look at it to get an edge on our, you know, if people are using, I'm going to use an older term, zero-based budgeting. And all of a sudden, a lot of my competitors are searching for something like that. All of a sudden, we better look into this to see if we need to do it. Um, I think that the upcoming trend will be companies who are very astute and ahead of, on the edge, I'll say, will start integrating this intent data to bring the company in total together, 
in all functional areas, which I find fascinating. It, it's fascinating and what you can do with this. Yeah, it's, it's why I'm spending a lot of time right now putting together um, what I'm calling the, the intent data application framework, because the, the world's view of this data set is quite narrow because it's where it started, mm -hmm. right? Right. It, it started out of, yeah, how do I advertise smarter? How do I prioritize my sales time? But as you, as you step back and you start to think about what it tells me, what are businesses researching, and then how can I start to extrapolate that into other areas where that information adds immense value to my business? Like one, one interesting piece, on a brand health perspective, there's not really anything else that exists today that can tell you the aggregate impact of a lot of your marketing and sales efforts, right? Mm -hmm. Sure, SEO I can measure on its own. I increased this much or I got this many impressions or clicks on my media or we did this event and I got this many people stop by my booth or you know, my, sell my sellers are working this account. I can actually absorb all of that into just a company search score. Um, and see in my target account, am I seeing more research being done on my brand or on the thing that I'm talking to the market about right now mm -hmm. holistically? Because all mm -hmm. of these aggregate tactics, and I left a ton off, right? That's what we're trying to do, right? We're trying to drive that research. And so it, this whole concept, even just to that brand health component, should be in every boardroom, right? Mm -hmm. What is our brand health against our competitors in a holistic manner? And how is it trending uh, mm -hmm. right, right now? because there's nothing else that's out there that can really build that view. Just one example of what, what he's talking about there. Bombora is able to measure the effect of a digital out of home campaign. So if mm -hmm. you have a bunch of billboards around a conference, you can then find out the people that went to that conference, did they become more interested in Bombora during the weeks and months after that conference when all they saw that would be different was those billboards. And that's fascinating. You know, similar when you were talking about focus groups, you could ask a bunch of people, do you remember seeing that billboard? Was it interesting to you? But that becomes very expensive, very fast. This way you can very quickly say, oh, there was a spike of interest in our company because of those billboards. We should do more of those. Or there wasn't. Billboards didn't affect things, so maybe that's not where we should be concentrating our, our marketing. Now, again, this is a marketing use, but it relates to brand health because it's a question of what, what things that we do with our brand affect our brand health. And knowing your brand health drives it deeper into the organization. Again, product development, evolution of a product life cycle, et cetera. How are we operating? Are we competitive in our costs? How do we reduce our costs because our competition is gaining steam? And then I, I would say in the old world prior to intent data, you relied on your sales force to tell you that. Yeah. And that's a very inaccurate way of reading the market and reading right. your competition because it's hard to get through the fog of the sales message, if you will. Um, so I, I think it's a very, very exciting future. The framework you're putting together, uh, Jeff, on intent data used deeper into the organization. Can you explain any more about that? Yeah. So it's, it's, it's taken a lot of kind of, say, my experience over the years where I just kind of started to step back and like, where else could, should we apply this kind of data and insight? And so it really breaks down into the, the three categories we we're kind of hitting on, right? Sales with things like prioritizing my sales time or, hey, these key accounts, I want to know what's going on there. Churn reduction, cross sell, upsell, kind of sales motion there. 
Then you've got your marketing applications, right? Very popular. Everything from demand gen and account-based marketing of where and how should I spend my time? Measuring events uh, is a big one, right? Hey, leading up to this event, who's showing intent on my stuff? At the event, this is one that is greatly underutilized. Uh, we all get the conference apps and things like that. Well, I can quickly go through and see who at the event is actually showing intent on what I have to sell or my, my company. So I can prioritize my event time and post, or even like what we should write about or, or talk about. We have a major tech company that did that and their theme was sustainability because they saw that their target market was through that. So demand gen, personalization, right? Somebody gets to your website. Um, we also have a first party tag that we, we put on, mm -hmm. on our customers' websites. If, if they want it, that in real time can say, your company's showing interest in this. This is who you are and what you're interested in. Triangulate that. And now you get a different website experience, a different you know chat experience. And smarter search, right? Smarter advertising. That was kind of the original promise of, hey, I don't want to spend money on accounts that aren't, um, that aren't in market for my stuff, or I want to hit them with a different message as you go through that. So mark tons of marketing use cases, right? So we got sales, we got marketing. Then we got the kind of this new frontier uh, around this go-to-market planning and measurement. Market intelligence, like we were talking about the M&A, mm -hmm. right? Make market expansion, that that content strategy side of what are, what should we be talking about? That campaign measurement side, right? That brand health, um, uh, your website measurement, right? Are we actually driving people to our site that we care about versus just volume of traffic? And then finally, that competitive intelligence that we were kind of talking on there. And, and there's so much more, but that's kind of where we're starting to structure this around is around that go-to-market planning measurement, marketing and sales uh, and just trying to open up brands, CMOs, yeah. CEOs minds to the possibilities of where else can this data have impact when I understand what these businesses are researching. Okay. So phase one, we'll say of intent data was centered around sales and marketing. That's where the CEO, the organization would look at to go in full force. Let's say phase two we're going to enter into now, and that's distributing or democratizing, if you will, the understanding and use of intent data. What surprises do you think you're going to see, Bill, in perhaps the PR, the strategy of getting into market and awareness around companies and Jeff yourself? What surprises do you think we're going to see in phase two? I can start with my, what I think a surprise yeah, is I'd love to, to hear be. your thoughts. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. thinking. I think the whole consulting industry is going to grab on this because people don't know it. There's an opportunity to explain it and how to make it actually apply to their business. So I think that's going to be a main driver in phase two, that whole how do we implement and use intent data, not just this is the concept and the idea, but how do we get it implemented? Because that's the real challenge. If you can't implement, you can't execute. Yep. I think that's the big surprise in phase two, the, the thrust, the big growth area. I would wholeheartedly agree, honestly, with that. So I spent some time as a fractional CMO. And that implementation, right? The the in, the insight is interesting, but turning intelligence into action is a next step, and right. it's a critical step because otherwise it just lives as a dashboard. Exactly. So what do I do with this? Um, the hard part is there's not a lot of consultants who get the stuff we just talked about, mm -hmm. um, right? They're they're especially marketing consultants, right? Their brains are still smarter advertising content and sales prioritization. And so it's a different level of consultant to some extent, or one that has that opportunity to grow. Mm -hmm. um, so there has to be some maturation, even just in the consulting market along those lines of how do I implement this in a way 
to unlock all those other strategy components we were talking about. Mm -hmm. I'll talk to you about that, Jeff, offline. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'll, I'll, I, I appreciate this question. I think it's a great one. I, I, I guess I, I do imagine that there will be a lot more use of intent data to produce, not just at large publications, but as Jeff said, at for, for corporate blogs, where the best article is answering a question that just occurred to you. Right. You, you just started yes. to wonder about yes. something and then you see an article about it. That's great. Um, intent data enables companies and reporters and editors to be answering questions just when they're starting to bubble up um, and, and to write the appropriate answer, enough material, not too much, uh, so that people can make a better success of their business. Uh, and that is, I think, the future of intent data from a PR and, and uh, sort of reporting journalistic perspective. The, the piece I'd add on there, it's kind of a personal goal of mine, is to save the world from kind of one bad campaign at a time, right? We have <laughs> all experienced bad marketing and sales campaigns. We've all experienced bad content. We've experienced stuff that's irrelevant. And the hope is with, with intent data, number one, we bring a whole next level of relevancy, right? To our businesses, to our campaigns, to our sales teams, et cetera. But then it still comes down to the human. That's kind of going back to your chat GPT kind of AI question earlier. Sure, it can write some of it, but we still need that human element to, you know, we're asking people to give up the most valuable resource in the world that they have, which is time to engage with our brands, to engage with our content, right? Even if I'm a, if I'm a writer or a publisher or anything like that. So uh, bringing relevance, but I still have to hit that topic. I still have to nail kind of that piece that's going to deliver value in exchange for their time. Um, mm -hmm. And that's where you still need that human side. But I think we get a lot closer with a lot more potential to nail that with kind of the broader applications of intent data. Yeah, I think uh, to, to further what you had just mentioned, Jeff, about the human element, we need that. A lot of people, unfortunately, believe they can run a business just by numbers. There's a whole side of running a business that has nothing to do with numbers, and it's called the human element or the people project. And I think intent data in future phases, after companies start using it in the different functional areas, it's all going to come back to people because that's the key. We're learning that from COVID and everywhere. We've got to be able to get people's mindsets in the right area using data to do that, but then tapping into the human element of the emotional side and the bonding side, the, using Maslow's hierarchy. How do they feel safe, secure, so that they can move up the range of needs and satisfy them and get to that actual actualization type of thing in their life? Because that's what makes them feel content. Any last words on intent data, summary, anything anybody wants to mention? I think for me, one area we didn't even dive into uh, is like it in context of data science too. Um, and, and kind of going back to that intelligence side of it and running by numbers, but there's a whole layer of intelligence that I think intent data will unlock. And we're seeing this with some of our customers where they'll put it into their data science models and it's enabling them to really focus the business strategy on the right accounts at the right time. Um, things and looking holistically at like, customer lifetime value. Like if I'm going to sign up a pizza company versus, you know, a hyper growth startup company, even though they may look basically the same, except for what they do uh, in terms of employees, revenue, all that, like the lifetime value of one is far greater than another. Uh, and intent data can help you start to unpack that and see that next level of, of bringing the science in while still unlocking that human element that we were just talking about there. 
um, because these are people doing this research. Um, and we're just trying to make our businesses just that little bit smarter so that they, you know, we're focusing that, that investment and that effort. Bill, any last thoughts? Yeah, I just, it's funny. I, uh, Jeff uh, said a lot of what I was going to say. Uh, I think that's exactly right that um, when you talked about Maslow's hierarchy of needs and, and bringing things to the human level, I think that's exactly intent data at its best does exactly that because, in, you know, the word data can, can obscure the fact that these are people. What we're learning from intent data is what people want and when they want it um, and when their interests have shifted. And so that is always what businesses want to know. And now they have a new way of learning that fast. Uh, and that's the power of intent data. Okay. Well, maybe roundtable number three, we can focus on the idea of we have business intelligence and that's how the business works. And you're looking, how do I gold mine these little niches that basically people are overlooking? But a subcomponent of that is people intelligence. And it's not yeah. just what's going to make them buy. How do I make them feel so attached to an idea that they got to go out and buy this tomorrow? But it's with the mindset. How do we help them? shape the right mindset so that they can look at their job and be more engaged. Gallup just did huge. I mean, every year they do their survey, I believe, and it's coming in, I think at 30, 33% of people are engaged at work. Hmm. Huge opportunities for intent data to help understand that challenge and how do we move it ahead. So um, maybe we can use that for episode number three of the implementers podcast and uh round table between the three of us. That'd be fun so, to dive into. Okay. Just, what, one other thought I have, by the way, for the next one, Ted, is mm -hmm. maybe we could give Jeff some time to talk about that distinction between bidstream data and the kind of data that Bombora collects. It's a really important distinction. It may take a little bit of time, but it's worth making in, in terms of helping businesses evaluate what are the different kinds of intent data and where do they come from and how do we evaluate them? Okay. I look forward to that conversation. So I'd like to thank both of you for coming to episode number two today. Very interesting conversation and uh, have a good day the rest of the day. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks so much, Ted. Always a pleasure. Are you an implementer who wants to share your stories and insights on our podcast? If so, reach out to us at studio at implementors.io. 